You can have a seat. As you're sitting down, tell the person on your right and left, I'm glad you're here today. And turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And one of the buzzwords at church is gospel. You hear that word consistently. The gospel is God loved us just where we were. And he sent his one and only son into the world to be born of a virgin. Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. At the right moment, he offered up that sinless life as a sacrifice on the cross. Jesus was not guilty, but he became guilty so that you and I could be declared innocent by God. On the cross, he forgave our sins. Three days later, he was powerfully raised from the dead. He appeared to many witnesses. He ascended into heaven. He sent the promised Holy Spirit to us, and one day he will return. That is the gospel. Um, Romans chapter 1 tells us that is the power of God for salvation. So when you and I realize that we need to and want to be saved from our sin, we believe the gospel. When we want to be saved from eternal destruction, we believe the gospel. When we want to be rescued from this world of chaos and conflict and have peace that transcends understanding and lasts, we believe the gospel. Gospel means literally good news. And in Mark chapter 6, that's the mission that these apostles are sent out to accomplish, to preach the good news, the gospel that Jesus has come and God is saving the world in the person of Jesus. Now, as we read it, it doesn't really reference uh, the disciples by name, it just refers to them as, as the twelve, but when they return later on in chapter 6, Mark refers to them as apostles. Now, instinctively, we know that there's a difference between us and the apostles. Uh, there's the capital A apostles, the twelve. Right? A capital A apostles is not really up for grabs today. We can't be one. Uh, They're a little bit different than us. They're different in two ways. First, they were uniquely chosen by Jesus. He looked them in the eye and said, I want you to follow me. Now, all of us have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, in fact. So you were chosen, too, in God's heart before he created Adam and Eve and the Grand Canyon and the Rocky Mountains and the Pacific Ocean. Before all that happened, he had chosen you to be in his family in Christ. But these apostles, Jesus looked them in the eye and said, I want you to follow me. They're also unique in the sense that they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. So they saw Jesus before he died. John, one of the disciples, apostles, 
He was there when Jesus died, and they saw him after he was resurrected. You and I have experienced the resurrection of Jesus. We have benefited from it. We are connected to it, but we were not personally eyewitnesses. And it was that eyewitness testimony of the resurrection that um, allowed some of them to be scripture writers, that the Holy Spirit empowered a few of them to actually write the scriptures. Uh, Writing uh, scripture is not up for grabs today. That's a capital A apostle job. So if any of you were like, you know, the Bible uh, ends so strong, it could end a little bit stronger if it went Jude, Revelation, the pearls of my wisdom. And so I don't know if anybody's thinking of that today. Not possible. That's a capital A apostle. But then in the scripture, there are lower uh, lower A apostles like Barnabas, like Silas, like Andronicus and Junus and Titus and Paphroditus. Because the word apostle, in its very most simple definition, means to be sent out. And all of us are called to be sent out. We've been chosen, set aside for a purpose. That's what Jesus says when he assembles the disciples for the very last time right before he ascends up into heaven he says you remember all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me he says therefore go and make disciples in the whole world baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything that i've commanded so all of us inherit that mission those marching orders So we can't be a capital A apostle today, but we are all to be called apostolic. We should all be lower A apostles. We all should go. So a few things. When we go, you can see in your listening guide, first, I am sent. When I go, I am sent. Verse 7, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. See, there's a difference between going and being sent. I can go to Target. I can just wander around aimlessly. I can shop around, and if anything grabs my attention, I can purchase it. I can go to Target. But then sometimes Amanda sends me to Target. She texts me a list. And if I come home with anything less than that list... I get back in the car and go to get the things that I forgot because there's a difference between going and being sent. All of us are to go. That's what Jesus said up on that mountain before he ascended. But he has also sent us with a purpose, with a mission. Going can be a lot of different things, but if you're sent, there is something that needs to be accomplished. And we're sent today. There is something that needs to be accomplished. And how does he send them? He sends them out two by two, it says. He sent them out with a ministry pair, a partner. When Matthew lists the 12 apostles, he actually does it in pairs. And there have been some people who have suggested these are the pairs in Mark chapter 6. You can see them here. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So that's the first pair, some brothers. Then James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, so another set of brothers. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So I wonder if Simon the Canaanian, like, knew already, like, oh, man. 
Judas, seriously? <laughs> maybe they didn't know at the time. Maybe it was a total shock to him, but maybe he knew. He was like, I didn't get with Peter. I got Judas. In fact, that's why none of us know his name, Simon the Canaanite. Some of us are surprised he was a disciple today because he got par- paired up with Judas, the most famous disciple, the man who made one of the worst decisions in the history of the world, overshadowing Simon the Canaanite. But Jesus sends them out two by two because when he sends us, he never sends us alone. Because the community of God's people tells a better story of Jesus than an individual. The family of God in Christ paints a more accurate and compelling picture of Jesus than we would do on our own. So he sends us out together. He doesn't send us out alone. A couple of things happen when he sends us out together. First, we find strength. We find strength together. Being faithful to Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It's a long list of expectations that we see in the scripture. And somehow Jesus says, though, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But it is a long list of expectations that God has for those who would raise their hand and say, I believe in Jesus. Being faithful is not for the faint of heart. But when we do it together, we're encouraged and we're built up. When I'm low, you build me up. And when you're low, I build you up. We do it together. We find strength together. We also find humility together. See, a lot of us have a rescue complex. We want to be the savior. We want to be the answer. We want to be the hope. So some of us are even motivated. If there is a problem to solve, we want to be the problem solver. But Jesus sends us out together so that you would know and I would know we can't do this alone. By ourselves, we are not enough. See, the reality is you are not an answer to any question that anybody is asking. There's no meaningful question being asked by your neighbors, by your friends, by your family members that you are the answer of. Jesus is probably the answer. We're just the messengers. And by sending us out together, not one of us could think that we somehow are more alone than we would be together. He sends them out in pairs. So we're sent when we go. When I go, number two, I am authorized. I'm authorized. Verse seven. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Unclean spirit is a demonic spirit who would exercise control over a person. A demonic spirit who would exercise control over a person. And Jesus gave them authority over these unclean spirits, meaning that through their prayer and their ministry, someone could be released from the control of one of these demonic spirits. Now, we know that the authority that the apostles carried out on this mission is borrowed authority. It wasn't their authority. It it wasn't rooted in who they were or what their experience was or what they were gifted to do. It was borrowed authority. It came from Jesus. He gave them authority, and he had authority to give. Look at this list from the scripture about his authority. First, Mark chapter 1 says that he taught with unique authority. 
He had authority to forgive sins, Matthew 9. He had the authority to remove unclean spirits, Luke 4. God gave him authority to judge, John chapter 5. So someone could say to you, like, don't judge me. But you couldn't say that to Jesus, because if you said, don't judge me to Jesus, he would be like, I am actually the judge. So I'll do whatever I want. He had authority to lay down his life and to pick it back up, John chapter 10. God gave him authority to give eternal life, John 17. And he said again in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. He has authority and he lends us his authority. He lent his authority to those original apostles. And the apostles, they never treated it as their own. Jesus sends out the 12 here. A little bit later, he sends out a few more. He sends out a group of 72. And in Luke chapter 10, when those 72 return, it says they came back rejoicing. And they say to him, even demons were subject to us. And then they say this phrase, in your name. So the apostles, they knew. These demons, they don't respond to us because I came to church seven Sundays in a row. Get a medal. Like not even the pastor comes seven Sundays in a row. That's like an Olympian of Christianity. The demons don't subject themselves to us because we read our Bible a certain amount. Or we behave in a, a good way. They rejoice because the demons were subject to them in his name. Even after Jesus ascended into heaven and sends the Holy Spirit and the, those original apostles minus Judas are totally empowered, as empowered as we've ever seen someone be. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go to the temple to pray, and on their way, you maybe remember this story, they see a, a man who was lame, and he was begging for money, and they walk over to, the, to him, and, and he kind of starts to beg, and Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk, and he gets up and walks. So even in their most empowered moment, they don't invoke their own authority, but only the authority of Jesus' name. So while they are capital A apostles, and there are a few things that make them distinct from us today, the same authority that he gave them, he also gives to us his own name. The number one thing most of us uh, hesitate about being sent, about inviting someone to church, about having a conversation about Jesus, Jesus is that we feel underprepared. We don't know what someone's going to say. We're going to say, will you come to church with me next Sunday? And they're going to say, what about evolution? And be like, well, I'm not an expert in evolution. Nobody told me that I needed to know about evolution to invite someone to church. And you kind of shrug your shoulders and then they shrug their shoulders and they don't come to church with you. Or you're, you see somebody in crisis and you say, can I, can, I, can I just pray for you? Would you mind? And we're nervous that they're going to say, well, how old is the earth? You know, scientists say like a million bazillion years and you Christians say 6,000 years. And you'll be like, I don't say anything. And they're going to say, well, what about the rings in the tree? You know, the rings in the tree tell us how old the earth is. And some scientists in Vermont came up and you're like, I didn't know about Vermont. I just wanted to pray for you. So we run all these scenarios through our mind and we think, ah, we feel underprepared. 
But the truth is, is that you are authorized. So when you do go to invite someone or to pray for someone or to speak the truth of God's word and will into their life, you are authorized. You are not underprepared. You may not know every answer to every question, but neither did these guys. In fact, later on in chapter 6, same chapter, the disciples are going to get freaked out. Same guys. They're going to get freaked out. And the scripture is going to say, because they did not understand the fish and the loaves. So even these apostles who are empowered and authorized by Jesus himself in the flesh, they didn't know all the answers and they didn't understand everything. But what they did have is the same thing that we have today, the name of Jesus. So when you do go to invite someone to church and they say, well, what about evolution? You go, well, I don't know that much about evolution. I'm going to be honest. But my life has been changed by the name of Jesus. Will you come to church with me? Can I pray for you? No, I'd really, uh, I don't know. You say, well, I don't know about all the things, but I know that when I pray in the name of Jesus, I have seen the effects. And I would guess they're going to let you pray because you are authorized. There is a difference between being an expert and being appointed. And you've been appointed. God is not looking for any of us to be experts. He's chosen you and sent you out. And you have the authority. Next, when I go, I am free. I'm free. Verse 8. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So Jesus sends them out. He sends them out without the basic necessities. He sends them out without money, which means they had no safety net. So when they go into a village, if no one welcomes them into their home, they don't have any way to eat. They couldn't just stop by the local market and pick up dinner. They're totally dependent that Jesus' word was going to come to pass, that they would be well taken care of. And he sends them out without the basic necessities. Why? Because God loves faith. If you're wanting to make an offering to God, don't make a promise. If you want to make a deal with God, don't make some outlandish commitment that you'll never be able to keep. Oh God, I promise if you'll let the Texans be better next season, then I promise I'll read my Bible every day for the rest of my life. I promise I'll never miss a Sunday ever again, not even for vacation. We'll find a church to go to on vacation. If we can't find a church to go to on vacation, we'll have church as a family together. I promise. God is not interested in offerings of promises that we can't keep. What he loves is faith. So he's always going to put you in situations where you need faith. So if you are always wanting to have all the answers lined up, before you ever take a step, I'm just telling you, this Jesus thing is not going to be for you. Because he loves faith. And so he sends out these 12 
without the resources that we would think that they would need with less than the necessities because it requires that they would have faith in the God who supplies and not their supplies. But it's so easy for us to just put all of our faith and our hope and our trust in our supplies, in our necessities. And some of us are even defining necessities with our own unrealistic definition of what we actually need. We need to be careful that we don't let our possessions swallow up our purpose. That we would have so many things in our life that the reasons that God has placed us here on the earth would get lost in the mix of all the other things that we own. So how do I know if my possessions are swallowing up my purpose? Three questions I'd love for you to write down to help us reflect. Do I think about my possessions or my purpose more? Do I think about my possessions or my purpose more? Number two, if God asked me to sell everything I had and give it to the poor, how long would it take me to obey? Jesus actually asked a handful of people to do that. He didn't ask everyone, so breath of fresh air for a lot of us. But some he did. If he said that to you, I want you to take everything you have, I want you to sell it, I want you to give it to the poor, how long would it take you to obey? Some of us already know, like, I would not obey. I just know, and I hope it would all work out in the end. Question number three, what would I rather live without, my possessions or my purpose? The truth is, is we're all going to hope for both, aren't we? God, is there a way that I could have both? And maybe God will provide you that way, but you'll have to protect it. If you are a person who God has blessed with a lot of resources and a lot of possessions, and he has not specifically come and asked you to give everything that you have to the poor, if you have a lot, you will have to protect that purpose. You'll have to fight off those possessions every day so that they don't possess you. It's so easy for our possessions to swallow up our purpose. You know, the interesting thing is Jesus sends out these these 12 men with less than what they need. But they come back, the scripture says, rejoicing. They don't come back to Jesus having just barely survived. They come back rejoicing. See, our biggest fear is if we would release our hold on our possessions, that somehow there would be less rejoicing in our life. But your greatest amount of joy will come when you are plugged into the greatest purpose. So we think of it as just our joy and our possessions are tied together. And if we have a lot of possessions, then we have a lot of joy. But if you've ever watched Hoarders Buried Alive, (laughs) you know that eventually... Your possessions keep increasing and your joy starts decreasing. 
Some of us are on a trajectory of owning, owning, having, having that actually will end up making your life less enjoyable. But they come back rejoicing and they lived for this time with less than what they needed, not more. So we want to be free when we're sent. Next, when we go, I am winsome. I am winsome. Verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. So what Jesus is teaching them is kindness and consideration. He doesn't want them upgrading throughout the village. So they would go in and they would preach this message, asking people to repent, to change. You've been looking for the Messiah. We believe that the Messiah has come. God is saving the world in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so change. And when they would preach that message, then they would wait. They would wait to see who would welcome them to want to hear more, who would invite them over for a cup of tea or something like that. And maybe they wouldn't and they would be rejected. And he gives them instruction for that in the next verse. But he's teaching them kindness so that when somebody welcomes them into their home, they don't think about upgrading if someone else welcomes them. So if someone says, I'm very interested in what you have to say, and I believe it. Would you come and stay with me tonight? That they would just go. They wouldn't be like, well, the place we stayed last night had a big screen TV, and that was nice. But this other person welcomed us, and they have the big screen and the ping pong table. Yeah, let's go and stay there tonight. You know, we'll do it in the name of ministry, but we'll go and stay there. And then the next night, well, yeah, it was ping pong table, but these guys have a pool Let's upgrade. He, he's just saying, once somebody welcomes you, you just stay there because it's good manners. Good manners and gospel make great partners. Good manners and the gospel, great partners. If you care about the message, you will care about how it's represented. I was in India one time. We were in a small little village in northwest India. We were going from house to house to house, um, meeting people, praying with people, inviting them back to a gathering we were having later that night. And I was in a group of a few people, and I didn't really know them, and they didn't know me. We just got lumped in the group together. People would invite us in to come and have tea. It was pretty unusual that some Americans would come into this little teeny in the middle of nowhere village. And so people would have us over for tea and, and you just, you're supposed to talk to them and, and invite them to the thing. And of course, if there was an opportunity to talk about Jesus, that's why we had gone all that distance and take that opportunity. Well, my partners had rehearsed a speech before they ever left America. And so when we would get into these homes, they would serve us tea and these guys would just push play on themselves and they would just talk. It didn't matter what question the person asked. It didn't matter if they were at all interested. It didn't matter. None of that mattered because once they pushed play, they were going to talk until the recording was over and then it stopped and then they just stared at the person. And then the person would stare back at them. And there was no, we weren't over at someone's house being hosted. It wasn't a relationship. It wasn't a moment of kindness between one group of people and a, another group of people. It was just an opportunity to monologue. And maybe you've been around that and you've seen someone 
misrepresent the message or to wrap the message in bad manners. It should bother you. It should bother you. We should care. We should be winsome. But we should also be bold, which is next in your listening guide. Verse 11. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So Jesus instructs them, you go and proclaim this message. Essentially, you go and proclaim me to these village. If somebody welcomes you, you go and stay with them, and you stay with them the whole time you're in that village because it's good manners. But if nobody welcomes you, if no one is kind, if nobody receives your message, then you walk to the edge of the village, and in front of all the people, you shake the dust off your feet. Now, what's interesting, to shake the dust off is a searing indictment since Jews traveling outside of Palestine were required to shake themselves free of dust when returning home, lest they pollute the Holy Land. So this commandment from Jesus is tantamount to declaring a Jewish village heathen. So there was this practice, first century Israel, that if you traveled outside the country for any reason, when you got to the border, you would take your shoes, you would take your clothes, and you would get rid of all that foreign dust because you were coming back to the holy land. You were coming back to God's land. That was just a common practice. So Jesus reaches and uses this common practice and hands it to the disciples, these apostles, and says, if you're rejected, you do this to the village. Which doesn't mean a lot to us because we're not first century Jewish people. But think about the boldness that that would take. To preach, A, in front of a bunch of strangers. And these guys, these were not professional preachers. They didn't go to school to do this. This would be like you and, well, not me because I'm supposed to be a professional. But you guys just this week going down to some random street and just start preaching. It was the same thing. So it's already... A little bit scary, but they do it. And then if they're rejected in front of everybody to go and make this humongous statement to them. It was bold. Especially in the environment that they were living in. Because the next set of verses, starting in verse 14, tells the story of how John the Baptist lost his life. Because he proclaimed God's truth to the king and the king had him killed. That had just happened. The disciples, the apostles, they knew. They knew that. They knew one of their own who believed in Jesus had declared the truth and died. And now they're being sent off. It required boldness. There's an incredible ministry called Open Door International. And their heart is for people around the world who live in difficult places to be a Christian. And they smuggle them resources and they smuggle them encouragement so that they would continue to fight the good fight, finish the race and keep the faith. And every year about this time, they put out a list of the 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian. And they just published the list and all of the places we would think are at the top, North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran. And we know that. We know that it's difficult to be a Christian there. But it seems like it might as well be on another planet for most of us. It seems just in a whole nother world. So when we think about that we might need the boldness of 
these original apostles or the boldness of these Christians in Iran and Iraq, it seems like, well, just seems different. You know what country is on the list of top 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian? Mexico, which we could throw a rock at from Houston, Texas. So it's hard to imagine that one day in the United States, we might need the boldness of Peter and Andrew and John and James and Simon. But our neighbors just to the south do right now. And maybe for you, you won't need that kind of boldness in your lifetime, but your kids might. And if not your kids, then maybe your grandkids. I mean, it is the nature of human history that one day the United States of America will find itself on the list of the top 50 most difficult places to be a Christian. And the question for you and I is, will we be bold? Bold and winsome, but bold. And when I go, finally, I am successful. I am successful. That's what happens in verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. I am successful when Jesus is known. Because the very next verse, verse 14, King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. The disciples are sent out. They become apostles. Sent out to proclaim that God is saving the world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And the very next verse is Jesus' name had become known. We are successful not when we are accepted, not when people receive us, We are successful when Jesus' name is known. Because there is a chance that you will be rejected. There is a chance that when you invite someone to church with as much winsomeness and boldness as you can find, that they will say, thank you, but no thank you. There's a chance that you'll be rejected. But remember, we are the messengers. The message did not originate in our minds or hearts. We are just the spokesmen. In fact, do any of us know the name of an ambassador ever? Ever in all of history? Could you right now list the name of some ambassador? Don't tell me Ben Franklin. That's cheating. We all know that he was the ambassador from the colonies of the United States to France in the Revolutionary War. Outside of Ben Franklin, can you name one ambassador? No, you cannot. But I bet you can name every president who sent that ambassador. So when we are rejected which might happen, we are not the ones being rejected. The one who sent us is being rejected. We go and invite, we invite, we invite, we invite, we invite. Sometimes we get turned down. They're not turning us down. They're turning down the one who sent us. When we're going to offer to pray for somebody, some, it might, might be possibly that they go, thank you, but no thank you. We're not the ones being rejected. The one who sent us is being rejected. Because our success or failure is not defined in how people respond to us. It is, is Jesus' name known? Is Jesus' name known when I am received? And is Jesus' name known when I am rejected? Because if we do this right, his reputation will outrun our reputation. 
good news spreads. Good news spreads. I remember when, by God's grace, Amanda agreed to marry me. I told everybody. I could be at a restaurant. The waiter comes over and says, what are, you, what are you thinking for dinner? And I say, well, I, I don't know, the chicken or the beef. I know my fiance would probably pick the chicken. I'm getting married. I just tell everybody, working into every possible conversation because good news spreads. Bad news also spreads. It does. There's something twisted and weird in us that we like to share bad news. You know what kind of news does not spread? Just plain old news. Just regular news. It doesn't spread. If you post on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever you're currently doing today, that you got a new job, that news is going to spread. People are going to be excited about it. They're going to tell people it's going to spread. If you post today that you lost your job, that news is going to spread too. If you post what you have for lunch today, that news will not spread. I'm not going to see your Instagram post and call up my mom in Missouri and say, you're never going to believe what Jenny 457 had for lunch today. Tacos. She went and had tacos. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. Tell everybody you know that Jenny 1247 had tacos today for lunch. That news is not going to spread. It's just an update. So we've read the scripture We know we can't be capital A apostles, but we are all to be apostolic. We are lowercase a apostles. We have a mission in our hands. We are going, but we are sent. We've seen that today. And the truth is, is a bunch of us are just going to be like, "Uh, okay, okay. Because somewhere along the way, the good news has just become news to us. It's just another update among the many updates about my life. This is my name, just updating everybody on my name. This is where I was born, just an update. This is how many kids I have, and this is what they're into. This is an update. I follow Jesus, that's an update. This is where we're planning on going for vacation uh, this uh, summer, it's an update. This is what I do for a living, just an update. The gospel is not just news, it's good news. And if it becomes good enough to us, we will want to spread it. So if today you or I, pastor's not exempt, are like, I know I should, but I just don't feel compelled. I know I ought to, but I just don't feel driven. We got to go back to the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation and not just to us but to all who will believe. So God, we pray, we pray that that good news would become so good that we go. And we know you've sent us with a purpose. We know that you've authorized us. We want to go free. We want to be kind and winsome. We want to be bold. And we want you to be known. So we go today. In Jesus' name.
Why don't you stand to your feet? If you're a guest with us at Bayou City, we finish all of our services with a time of prayer because Jesus told us to. You know, we take that seriously. Our prayer team's going to come forward and take their places up here in the front, even as I'm sharing. And so I want to invite you to come and pray. We pray because he instructed us to. We pray because we love one another. And if you have something on your heart today, we want to pray for you, whatever it is. That's what this time is for. But I want to make a few specific invitations. Uh, First, if there is somebody in your life, friend, family member, neighbor, that you care about, and you want to pray that they would hear and believe the gospel of Jesus. You come and pray for them. You come and pray for them by name. You may not see immediately see the effects, but in the unseen places, your prayer is accomplishing much. So you come and pray for them. I also want to invite you to pray if you would say, you know, those original apostles, they went out and they, God used them to heal and God used them to rid people's lives of spiritual darkness. And you would say, I need healing today or I just feel oppressed by spiritual darkness and maybe you're not putting a label on it and you don't know anything about demonic spirits or any of that kind of stuff. You just would say, there's a darkness in my life that I cannot seem to shake and I would like light to flood my life again then come and pray. The great thing is, is these apostles, they prayed for those people to be freed from spiritual oppression and to be healed in the name of Jesus. We're going to do the exact same thing today. And we would love to pray for you as well. And the third thing that I want to invite you to pray for, if you would say somewhere, the good news has just become news to me. And I want it to be good news. I want it to rearrange my life. I want it to be of priority importance. And come and ask God to restore your spiritual fervor. And finally, if you would say today, uh, the gospel is not for my friends or my neighbors. The gospel is for me today. I want to believe in the good news so that I can be saved. Then you come forward and just say that out loud to one of these folks. And they'll be super pumped because there was a moment in their life where they said it out loud that they wanted to be saved. And they can pray with you and you can leave today knowing that you have that eternal salvation. So God, we pray together as a family. We know it's not our words, it's not our phrases, it's not our godliness that accomplishes things. It is the power of God in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we have that today. And so we expect powerful answers from you towards these requests. In Jesus' name.